Lisa's are extensive and they're broken down in a lot of subheadings, so I'm going to break Lisa's down into several episodes. Let's go ahead and just talk and jump right into it. This episode is going to be about creating the tenancy within a lease. So what is a lease? Well, a lease is obviously a combination of both property and contract law. It's traditionally where people would allow others to have the right to stay on the property and do whatever they wanted with the property. But with the adoption of a lot of contract law, there's a lot of restrictions that are put on landowners, uh, uh, landlords, as well as restrictions that are put on tenants. So the things that we're going to be talking about with creating a tenancy today is, first of all, selecting the tenant, second of all, selecting the estate, uh, negotiating the lease, and delivering possession. Those are going to be our four main headings for today. Let's go ahead and talk about selecting the tenant. Traditionally, landlords had exclusive rights to determine who they could lease out uh, property to. But a lot of legislation has gone on to limit this right. Our first case is Nathamer, I'm going to say that, uh, versus uh, Brennan Property Services here. And it's about a discrimination case of whether or not you can discriminate and how you can discriminate. So the Fair Housing Act was codified as Section 42 USC, sorry, Title 42 of the United States Code, Section 3604. The act applies to the selling and the rental of property. So, unless if there are certain exceptions, uh, which those exceptions are outlined in 3603B and 3607, uh, the sellers and renters are not allowed to discriminate based on race, color, religion, sex, familial status, or national origin in refusing to sell, rent, or make terms and advertising. Okay, so let's go ahead and break that down just a little bit. Two things to note. These suspect classes of race, color, religion, sex, familial status, or national origin are the only things protected by the Fair Housing Act. There are categories that may be outside of this, uh, but those are the categories that are protected. Now, what is restricted? You can't refuse to sell or rent. You can't uh, make certain terms against those classes. And then you can't advertise against those classes or specifically for those classes. So let's talk about the exceptions that are 3603B and 3607. There are two exceptions to the selling and uh, slash renting and the making terms parts of this. However, these exceptions don't apply to advertising. So the exceptions first are uh, rooms or, or units in a dwelling containing living quarters occupied by no more than four families living uh, independent of each other. Okay, in other words, if the landlord owns a property that has four families living in individual units, so four plaques or smaller, and the landlord is living in there as well, or other people, then that is accepted. Uh, 
the second exception is if it's a single family house by the owner. If that owner owns fewer than three homes and does not use an agent. If they use an agent but they have fewer than three homes, well then they still, uh, that exception does not apply. Another thing to note too though is that there is uh, the Civil Rights Act that was passed uh, in the 1800s uh, after the Civil War that e these two exceptions do not apply to. So as far as race goes, even if you are in one of these exceptions for the FHA, you are not accepted from discriminating against race uh, because of the CRA. So most of the time, there's going to be no direct evidence that actual discrimination happened. And so our cases that we have actually focus on how to prove discrimination, even though that direct evidence is lacking. Uh, so first, in this case that we are talking about, this property is subject to the FHA because it was had like 50 apartments in it. And Excuse me, that, that was wrong. That's her next case. This case, the person was using an agent, so they're not accept, uh, accepted. Exceptions don't apply to them. So because these people, uh, this landlord was subject to the act, uh, What's going to happen then is the court applies a burden-shifting approach, uh, meaning plaintiff has to show something, then the defendant has to show something, then the plaintiff has to show something again. So what is this burden-shifting approach? What's our analysis? Well, first the plaintiff must show that the plaintiff is a protected class and the defendant knew of that protected class. And to show this, you need to show sufficient clues and to show that they are that the defendant suspected uh, the nature of the plaintiff. Uh, so, for example, uh, if a person is applying for an apartment uh, and they say that they are of a particular religion and they suspect that they were rejected because of their religion, well they can say, well, I told them I was this religion, I had to prepare my food this way, that kind of stuff. Well, then that could be sufficient clues. Okay, so that's the first uh, thing that they must show. The second thing they need to show is that they were qualified for the property. Uh, they need to show that they applied and were rejected. And then after they were rejected, the property remained available for other people to become tenants as well. After that prima facie showing has been made, the defendant needs to show that there was a non-discriminatory reason to reject the application. A uh, good reason for that is usually going to be financial status, uh, credit, uh, or uh, credit's the biggest one coming to my mind right now, so we're just going to stick with that. And then after they show that they had a good reason, well, then the plaintiff needs to show that the defendant's reason was pretext. It was fake. It was made up. Uh, and a big reason for that is going to show, hey, I did have other means to pay, even though my credit was poor. 
Okay, so that's that case. Our second case was Fair Housing Council of San Fernando Valley versus roommate.com. We pretty much just learned from this case the definition of a dwelling. A dwelling is an independent unit. Uh, So it's covering the whole unit, the kitchen, the bathroom, uh, closet space, uh, all of the above. Uh, And instead of selecting just a part of that unit to be the dwelling. So for example, just the bedroom. So a room within a unit is not a dwelling. You need to have all the parts, the kitchen, the bedroom, the bathroom, etc. And then our other big takeaway uh, that I mentioned earlier from this case is that even if a party is exempt from the FHA, they may not discriminate against race based off of the Civil Rights Act. Okay, so that's selecting the tenant just to sum that part up. Uh, FHA does not allow you to discriminate against suspect classes uh, in doing uh, selling, uh, making terms or advertising. We talked about a couple of the exceptions there. And then also what needs to be shown by the parties in this burden-shifting approach. Let's move on to now selecting the estate. Well, again, there are four different kinds of Uh, tenancy estates. Before getting into these though, uh, remember when we were going over uh, ownership and we talked about freehold estates, uh, whether it's a fee simple or a fee simple determinable, a life estate, all those kind of things, those are freehold estates. Uh, The thing to note is that a lease creates a non-freehold estate. And so the four non-freehold estates are term of years tenancy, periodic tenancy, tenancy at will, and tenancy at suffrage. Okay, let's talk about what makes up each of these. So a term of years tenancy is a lease that is lasts for a specified amount of time, uh, whether it's one year, five years, ten years. And at the end of that term, the tenant's possession is going to automatically expire. A periodic tenancy, on the other hand, is a lease that is automatically renewed after the initial period that's run and then continues in that periodic statement. So month to month, year to year, 10 years to 10 years, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, The thing to note with this, though, is that since it does automatically run, to terminate this lease, you need to give notice that it is going to be terminated. And if it's month to month, uh, that termination notice needs to come a month in advance. If it's a year, typically uh, needs to come uh, a little longer. I think six months is what that is there. So, and then tenancy at will is that the lease is going to last indefinitely. Uh, I lease this to you indefinitely. That's, uh, I think there's more specific uh, language there. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but it lasts until people, the part, one of the parties decides to terminate it. Either the landlord or the tenant can uh, terminate a tenancy at will. And then fourth, the tenancy at sufferance. Uh, this is interesting because it's technically not a lease at this point. It's where you were leasing out to somebody before and then they... Uh, the deadline expired, the lease expired, and they are staying there. So it's technically a wrongful tenancy with a holdover tenant. Uh, expiration is run, 
and the person has not left the premises. Uh, in this situation, the landlord is often left with only two options. Uh, first, they can either evict the tenant uh, because at that point they're trespassing, or they can choose to renew the tenant's lease. Uh, many jurisdictions, however, have not allowed or they've at least added restrictions to the renewal options and process. Okay, so our one case with this uh, gives us one principle of how to understand what uh, non-freehold estate we are dealing with, whether it's a, and, and what our defaults are, so to speak. Uh, the case is Ethel versus Rosberg, and the question in this case was to determine which non-freehold estate exists. Rosberg wanted it to be a tenancy at will uh, because they wanted to be out of it. Sorry, the, and then Ethel wanted it to be a lease for life uh, because of the language, and they wanted to stay there for the remaining of their life. It's actually a pretty sad case. Uh, Ethel was an elderly lady uh, who, I think she was late 90s by this point, ended up dying a couple of years after this case ended up happening. But ultimately, our big takeaway from the case is that a party cannot create different kinds of non-freehold estates. So, this is going to be a tenancy at will because there is not a tenant, uh, tenancy for life, or at least for life. There are only these four kinds, and because the language here is not fitting any of the language for a periodic tenancy or a specific period. Instead, it's indefinite. While we're only given one option at that point, it's going to be a tenancy at will. And because Rosberg, in this case, determined to end it, even though the language said that uh, he couldn't end it, well, that doesn't matter because it is a tenancy at will. And the whole point of this is to just have simplicity and unity within the legal system. Okay, let's go ahead and move into negotiating the lease. So, pretty straightforward. Uh, negotiation is a lot of the time pretty limited uh, just because of three specific uh, features. Uh, first, there is the statute of frauds, which means that a lot of the time leases are to be in writing. Uh, this is going to be the case if a lease is going to extend beyond a year. Uh, second is that a lot of the time there are standard forms, and these are pre-prepared contracts that uh, the tenant goes on and they're just ready to sign, and a lot of the time these aren't negotiable and because a landlord says you sign this or you're not getting the apartment. And because it's pretty easy for them to go ahead and find another uh, party. A lot of the time, these forms just have the fill in the blanks for the price and how long the lease is going to have. Those are going to be your the most of the terms that you're going to be able to negotiate. Other terms, pretty pretty limited. Uh, third is rent control. Uh, there are some regulations by some states and cities that limit how much uh, landowners or landlords are able to charge for possession. Didn't spend a ton of time in negotiating a lease. Let's go ahead and move on to delivering possession. So who has to deliver possession? Does the tenant, can the tenant just walk in and 
claim the lease or do they have to actually obtain possession from the landlord? Does the landlord have to physically deliver? What's the default rule? And that's going to be the, uh, the biggest takeaway from Key Data Corp versus United States. Well, there's two approaches for how to deliver. You have the American rule and the English rule. The American rule just says that the possession of a property is not going to be withheld. Uh, but there is no requirement for the landlord to actually physically deliver. The landlord just needs to give the tenant a legal right to enter the property. So if there is any damages that occur, well, then the tenant and the new tenant is going to sue the old tenant and not the landlord for those damages. Okay, so the English rule, on the other hand, though, is that if the lease is going to be silent about who has to deliver, meaning you can still adopt the American rule in the lease. But if the lease is silent, well, then it's going to be assumed that the landowner has the right, sorry, or the duty to deliver. In this situation, the uh, recovery of any damages that the new tenant occurs will go against the landlord. And then the landlord in that situation would then go ahead and sue the holdover tenant as well. So the reason why this rule matters is because we're trying to figure out who has the duty. Uh, here, in this case, Key Data Corp, and this is the majority approach now, I believe, is they adopt the English rule. And this is the rule that is adopted in the restatement 2D of property. And I believe it's also the rule that we're going to be applying in our class, at least for purposes of uh, the final. Uh, but... The biggest reason for adopting this English rule is because the landlord a lot of the time has the greater authority and the resources necessary to actually enforce lease terms against a holdover tenant. And as a result, they are in a better position to protect old tenants and new tenants from actually incurring any damages. Uh, the American rule is still adopted by a lot of states, though. And the biggest reason for this is just because they want to protect the landlord uh, from the liability, uh, protect the landlord from being liable for the wrongs of a holdover party. Okay, go ahead and just summarize all we talked about with creating a tenancy. We talked about selecting a tenant, uh, about non-discrimination. We talked about selecting the estate, the four kinds of uh, estates that are available, term of years, uh, periodic, tenancy at will, and tenancy at suffrage. Talked about the three things that complicate the negotiations of a lease, as well as who has the duty to deliver possession, whether it's the American rule or the English rule. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro, and you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is, if it is used as legal advice, 
we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.